from the Hill Country of Texas, this is One Radio Network. And a very pleasant good evening to you. It is 7.01. We're 30 seconds late. This is One Radio Network. Com, and we are broadcasting from the beautiful hill country in Texas. And we're just uh, getting a little bit of rain here. And a place where it never rains is New Jersey, where our uh, co-host for tonight and every Wednesday night is Andrew Goss, 25-year currency historian and nationally recognized expert on the U.S. monetary system. Is that true? It never rains in uh, New Jersey? I don't know who told you that. Well, it was just... Uh, we have toxic rain here. <laughs> You don't have toxic rain there. Telling you. But you have everything but Ron Paul signs on the lawn. Oh, well. What's uh, the latest? Hey, oh, the latest. I'm reading the front headlines of this week's paper is that uh, they've dismissed the charges against me. Well, they have. They did. And the charges were having a Ron Paul sign after the election. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> yes. I, I wasn't operating within the proscribed free speech period. Yeah, well. We had our free speech zone, you know, where they would tell us where we could go to stand and um, and uh, make our voices heard. Right. Uh, so now there's a free speech period. Ah. Hey, I don't even want to bore you with what you can't do in New Jersey in your own front lawn. <laughs> you can't park your car on your lawn. Well, that's you can't, be, that... you can't keep your Christmas tree lights up more than 30 days after Christmas. Oh, really? It's the law. It's the law. Do you believe this? Well, it's well, it's the law. What's next? Andrew Goss, 25-year currency historian. His two books, Uncle Sam Cooks the Books and The Secret World of Money, soon to be available only on OneRadioNetwork.com. So that's pretty exciting. And uh, we will take your phone calls tonight at 888-1-NET-6. 888-1-NET-6. For those of you in uh, Paducah, that's 888-663-6386. Didn't mean to pick on Paducah. Just kidding. 888 888- Six six three sixty three eighty six. Let the phone ring. We'll put you on hold, and then we'll put you on the air. If you are too shy to be on this uh, stellar broadcast around the world, simply email me, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork dot com. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork dot com. The screen is right here in front of my little Italian eyeballs, and I'll be able to uh, read your question or comment right on the air, and we'll get it on right now between now. And 8 o'clock, Andrew Goss is on every Wednesday. And very soon we'll be on the worldwide uh, facility of WWCR Nashville on shortwave, Andrew Goss. We are going to be around the world even more. Exciting and stuff. And this is exciting stuff. Mm. They said it couldn't be done. No, indeed. Well, we're going to show them that it can no. be. Yes, sir. Uh, we better get a translator, though. You know, I only speak English. You don't do uh, Polish? I don't do uh, Portuguese You don't do the CPI in Polish? No, I cannot. Well, Bern Bernanke, Helicopter Ben, our man Ben. To the rescue. To the rescue. And uh, for those of you who uh, are new to the program, the reason uh, he's called uh, Helicopter Ben is because, Andrew? Well, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, we've converted all of our money to the electronic form. And so the question was sort of, well, what are you going to do if uh, the wires are down and you can't get electronic money out there? And, well, he'll bring it in in helicopters, he said. He'll hel- he'll helicopter it in. He'll parachute it in, I suppose. It and, should, uh, should be parachute Ben, I think, would be more appropriate. And they call him Helicopter Ben because of that. Yeah, as a result of that. I don't know if he likes that nickname. Probably not. Everyone knows who he is. Well, Helicopter Ben has been up to uh, living up to his, his nickname for... 
in the last oh, two or three weeks, uh, about 400 B with a b, 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 400 billion dollars. We'll make that 600. Oh, well, count the si- tips. <laughs> what happened to <laughs> where where'd the other 200 come from? Well, you know, they sneak it in here and there and just about everywhere. So they uh, they've increased that take, if you will. There's 600 billion in fresh new money. 600 billion in fresh new money. Mm-hmm. Once again, if you're on hold, stay right there and we'll get to you. You can hear the program on hold. Turn your computer down because then it'll, there's a delay. So 600 billion in new money kind of got injected in to save the, uh, save the uh, Titanic. Yeah, rescue is what they're calling it now. It's not a bailout now. It's rescue. 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 And uh, Mr. Bernanke's testimony should have been all over regular television today, if anybody was watching it. Mm-hmm. For those of you who watch yeah. such things. Unlike um, unlike Alan Greenspan, who needed an interpreter <laughs> to oh, understand what was, he was. Was Alan in there today? No, he wasn't. But oh, uh, when he was, it, it was very difficult to listen. But Mr. Bernanke has a little better delivery. Than, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, Mr. Bernanke did, I heard on the news, did uh, kind of uh, get to the R word saying, well, we may be contracting in, in our, our GDP. We just may be contracting. Yes. Uh, are we? Could be. Could be. <laughs> yeah, we, we could very well be. Hmm, I don't know. Let me go ask uh, just anybody on the street. Right. Whether or not we're in a recession, of course. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Um, how can I don't understand how one can be injecting billions of dollars into this thing we call the economy of newly created dollars out there just chasing after stuff, right? And and business not uh, not uh, expanding somehow. Well, what's going on? Well, what's going on is simply this: uh, they've tightened up mortgage standards to the point that the average individual can't get a mortgage. And so if they can't get a mortgage, they can't buy a house. And if they can't buy a house, then they can't make carpet for the house. And hmm. you don't have carpet. You don't need a new vacuum. So did they, the the uh, the wonderful thing we call they, did did, did they throw the baby out with the bathwater with this uh, subprime thing uh, coming out of the box here? Indeed. I think the, the initial mistake was raising interest rates. If you recall that, uh, <laughs> insane. I, I mean, I think Mr. Uh, ben... <laughs> mm-hmm. Didn't you know when he came in? He had that reputation as a guy who was just going to pour money all over every problem. Mm-hmm. And so, in trying to prove that he was a tough guy, he started raising interest rates. You remember that? Yeah. He raised them from one to five and a quarter. And so, at people's mortgages started resetting. New buyers were crowded out of the real estate market. And now, in his rush to take the rate all the way back down to one, <laughs> which is where we are again, right where we started. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's left that consumer completely out of the equation. So, so it's so, it's really tough now to go in and borrow a couple hundred grand for a house. Yeah, it, you know, we used to be able to no doc mortgages, right? Not anymore. No documentation, mm-hmm. uh, stated income. You tell them how much you make, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, hundred percent loans and one twenty fives. Remember those? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's the value of the house? We'll loan you one hundred twenty five percent, so you can buy new furniture. But not anymore. No, those standards have tightened up dramatically. Mm-hmm. So. This well, is what you need to see next. But once that um, once that chokehold is removed, and I would suffice it to I think it's enough to say that they've chased the speculators out of the housing market. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. I, I think those guys are gone. Oh, so that was the idea. Well, yeah, yeah. You know what? I don't know about you, but here in North Jersey, you know, the land of the affluent, you couldn't go to a PTA function or, a, you know, some kind of an event without hearing the other fathers talking about how they were 
buying houses in Florida and Las Vegas and in Phoenix and, you know, houses that they never intended to live in. But they were just driving the price up, essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, so that the next guy would have to pay more for it. Mm -hmm. And a great many of them uh, have themselves now in, of course, deep trouble because the flips, you know, they're going to buy those houses and just flip them over Mm -hmm. without ever intending to actively manage. You know, we've talked about that in the past. You buy yourself a rental property close by where you live and you actively manage it. That's a good recipe for for, uh, building wealth. Mm -hmm. But to to buy a house in some far-flung enclave just because you heard it was going up, that's what was going on there. I see. Uh, What is your first name? Where are you calling from? Hello? Yellow? Yellow? Hello? Well, we lost them. Hey, I don't know why that is. 888-1-NET-6. Uh, you're on hold and you got to hang there. 888-1-NET-6 is the telephone number. We'll put you on hold. Just listen to it. And then uh, you can uh, uh, get on the air. 888-1-NET-6. Um, is this ch- these changes in the oversight that the Fed is going to have all these new powers? Is there anything going on here that we even need to talk about? Does it mean anything uh, to us, the the people who use dollars? Well, uh, the idea that the Fed is going to be this uh, super agency with you know full regulatory powers over everything that deals with money is, I think, uh, a source of power that they've wanted for quite some time. So. You know, to usurp and replace every government agency that was charged with keeping an eye on them. Now, 90 years later, 95 years later, right? Mm-hmm. They've managed to take control of the entire system. Now, I know there are those out there, particularly in uh, academics, who think that this is all just a bunch of conspiracy talk. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, once you centralize power in, in a group of, uh, well, let's put, did you vote for Ben Bernanke? No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't vote I for didn't, him. I, I voted for the other I guy. I didn't vote for Yeah, them. so, I mean, these are unelected people, mm-hmm. and, and we should definitely do something to shake them from their seats of power, not give them more. Mm-hmm. So the, I do object to the whole idea. I think we should nationalize the Fed. I've made that statement before, sure. and uh, that's my opinion on the subject. Sure. Okay, now we're going to see this uh, caller. Uh, are you there, caller? Hello? Are you there? Don't hang up. Hello? Hello? Well, <laughs> technology is a wonderful thing. is a wonderful thing when it works. Uh, we were there. Eight 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 one net six. Okay, um, what is this this uh, magical connection for between uh, Goldman Sachs and uh, the big boys when it comes to getting government jobs, like Henry Paulson? And the reason I, I thought about this is because I heard the Secretary of the Treasury of the United States being interviewed the other day on radio, and it just so happens they said, oh, he was used to be with Goldman Sachs. He used to be the chairman of Goldman Sachs. Yeah, the chairman. And now Henry Paulson, I don't know what he was. He probably owned Goldman Sachs. Yeah, right. He's chairman of Goldman Sachs. Do you remember Robert Rubin? Yeah. Chairman of Goldman Sachs. How about the other guy that just left? Uh, Was he a Goldman Sachs guy? No, that's why he left. Oh, that's why. (laughs) He wasn't a Goldman Sachs guy. You know, they waited until they could find somebody inside Goldman, I guess. I've commented on this before how uh, I call them the world's financiers and they have a, a revolving door uh, between government and Goldman Sachs that's incredible I mean the odds are just unbelievable that so many people from inside that company 
would uh, control various aspects of the U.S. financial system, but there you have it. And who is Goldman Sachs, and why are they have such a, an inside road here? Well, they're one of the primary owners of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, along with J.P. Oh, Morgan oh, Chase. Oh, oh, okay. So they are, they're really in there. One of the 22 primary bond dealers. 22 primary bond dealers. Yeah, in other words, when Congress issues a bond and says, uh, okay, we need $1,000 that we didn't take in, there are only 22 organizations that are eligible to have that bond. And, and they'll sell that bond. Yeah, but of course, but you, you, know, you have to get it from them. If you're an institution, you have to buy it from them. Now, they've set up this thing where individuals can buy directly from the Treasury, but if you're the teacher's pension fund or you're a bank or you're somebody who wants treasury debt, mm-hmm. you've got to buy it through one of the 22 primary bond dealers. And Goldman Sachs just happens to be one of them. Are these 22 guys uh, on that list also the people that own the Federal Reserve Banks? <laughs> what a coincidence. I see. <laughs> see, I figured that out all by myself. I don't know how I did. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that happened. Wow. So these guys then get to just kind of get the paper that they can then sell to the unions and all that. And so they have, this is how they sell these bonds. Well, yeah, this mm-hmm. is where, you know, this is their, this um, is where it's at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, once the primary guys get their hands on the debt, then they're free to use it to whatever <clears throat> extent they want to, you know, consider that that bond is now grade a collateral for borrowing money at the discount window of the Federal Reserve. Okay, walk me through that. Uh, um, help, us, help us understand well, the, the, can, the implications of that, why that's important. Well, it's important because that's where the money is. You know, that's where the money is actually created. So even if these guys didn't have the money to buy the bond in the first place, mm-hmm. they can quickly turn the bond into money uh, simply by discounting it through the Federal Reserve's uh, discount window. So before they even get the bond... They discount it, meaning they get money for the bond? Yes, they can, if they want. Wow. Take it right in and, you know, cash it. <laughs> they cash it before they even and get they it. They could, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and as underwriters, not only do they do this sort of thing for the government, but they also do it for a bunch of other people as well. What do you mean? Well, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, mm-hmm. all these agencies that have bonds use these uh, same market participants, shall we call them, to do their deals as well. You know, if you're Fannie Mae and you want to sell a billion dollars worth of bonds, you take them right on over to one of the primary bond dealers and you say, here they are, and turn them into money. So Fannie Mae, if they want to loan out a billion dollars to homeowners, or they they guarantee home, uh, home mortgages, right? Yeah, well, they create the money. They right? create the money. They take it to Goldman Sachs and say, we have a billion dollars here, and give us a billion, and here are these notes. Right. Right? Right. Right. And then what do they do? What do they do with the billion? Then they'll, then they'll uh, loan it to people to buy, uh, buy homes. Or anything. Or anything. Yeah. Or anything. And, and this is the real gist of the problem to suggest or to blame um, – this entire problem on the guy who can't pay his home mortgage mm-hmm. is really, really disingenuous. Mm. The, the scope of the problem has more to do with, you know, corporate paper than it does with individuals and their individual home mortgages. So, so 
explain to us what that means, corporate paper. How, we, we understand the idea of a mortgage, but what corporate paper? Well, I, you know, I'm corporation Enron, and mm-hmm. I issue $100 million worth of bonds. And Moody's looks at them and goes, oh, those are great. Boom. AAA put a stamp on them. Now, suddenly, that's $100 million. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, $100 million can be created on the strength of those bonds. And they can be bundled together. And let's say they yield 6% variable and I want a fixed interest rate so they can be swapped. <laughs> you know, the, mm. the risk can be swapped. The interest rate can be stripped away from the face value of the bond and bundled. Uh, they, they do all sorts of um, smoke and mirrors things with these instruments to create additional value. Mm-hmm. Value that might not be there in the face value of the bond. And so these corporate debts get bundled together and then sold to pension funds and small banks and, you know, institutions looking to invest their money. That's the real root of the system. And, mm-hmm. and since there's so much of it out there, uh, I, was, I was watching uh, uh, George Soros today. Did you catch that, perhaps, if you're no, out no. there with a the television? No, no, no. George no. Soros has a new book out, and he's, mm-hmm. uh, he's uh, you know, pounding it around the circuit. Mm-hmm. And he made the mention of these... Um, these uh, debt swaps, these default swaps, uh, essentially, you're <laughs> just in case your your bond goes bad or the issuer of your bond goes bad, you you roll the risk that risk off to a third party, and you pay them a premium for taking that risk. So I'm in this nice corporate bond that yields eight percent, but I'm afraid the corporation is going to go bankrupt. So what do I do? I roll that default risk onto a third party who, you know, I pay them a premium and then they take that risk. Hey, oh, you tell them about the risk? Oh, sure. Oh, you tell them and you say it'll just cost you more. Here. Only I if mean, they It'll default. cost you less. It'll cost you less. Only if they default. Only oh, if oh. the person that, it's like, think of them as a bond insurer. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, essentially what they've done is they've created a second level of insurance to make the investors more comfortable. But now in the face of defaults, they're realizing that the people to whom that risk was assigned, are not able to pay. So it's as if this entire second segment of the market is now unraveling. So they have so many cheap threads leading into that same questionable debt instrument that it's much more than just the $100 million bond now. Now it, you know, it stretches into billions hmm. through multiplication. And in fact, Soros himself estimated the, that these uh, uh, default obligation swaps are in the forty trillion range. Forty trillion. Forty trillion. And his point was that none of the issuers of these insurances are regulated in any fashion, anywhere. So, as a point I was making in my last newsletter, the hedges need clipping, where. You know, you can't even add a bathroom on your house without six different permits. They're allowed to issue $40 trillion in <laughs> obligations without, uh, without anyone knowing, without any regulation of any sort. And that is an absolutely frightening prospect. So uh, the Federal Reserve, of course, says put us in charge of the whole thing, and then you won't have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're with Andrew Goss, 25-year currency historian, and two books, Secret World of Money and Uncle Sam Cooks, the books. Let me tell you just a second about Andrew. He is uh, with SDL Incorporated, and he buys and sells gold coins for a living. That's what you do for a living. That's how you pay your rent and take care of your kids, right? 
That's right. Because yep. the writing books, you don't make a lot of money writing books. Right? Well, not enough. They're doing radio shows. Hey, you don't make a lot yeah. of money. Nah, yeah. No. So, so that's buy, what you I do. I buy old coins. You buy old coins, sell old coins. And and why would somebody, uh, what is your selling point? There's a million places you go buy gold coins. Why do you think that uh, somebody would have a good experience with you as opposed to someone else? Maybe? Well, because every it's hands-on. It's what we call a vertically integrated company. We, you know, it's what they call, what would be known as. Everyone here is uh, has a stake in the operation. No one sits home and draws a paycheck for not working. Mm-hmm. So we keep our overhead to a minimum so that we don't have to uh, charge exorbitant prices. And if you've compared prices, uh, you'll know what that means. If not, then please uh, do so because uh, you'll find there is a big difference in what uh, dealers have to charge based upon uh, wh- how, how big their overhead is. Mm-hmm. And y- y- you keep track of the business that you do with people around the country, I assume around the world. And then it, you can then maybe go to them if you want to buy back the coins if somebody else is looking for a particular coin. So it's kind of like you have inventory around the country and around the world. Yeah, that is another big difference. Yeah. You know, I've found other places have the attitude, well, okay, I sold you, sold the, you coin, the coin, that's now it. that's it, see yeah. you later. Mm-hmm. But whereas I, I know that there are two sides to every transaction and that after I sell you a coin, at some point you're going to want to sell the coin. And I would certainly like to make a commission again. That's mm-hmm. how any good realtor uh, does his business. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we do follow that uh, attitude. So for us, customer service is number one. You want to keep a long-term customer. That way, uh, when time comes to sell, they're not going to think of uh, anyone else but you. Mm-hmm. And Andrew's number up in New Jersey is 800-468-2646, 800-468-2646. And you're available to talk with people personally about coins and stuff like that, right? Yeah, that's what I meant by everybody works. <laughs> Even, <laughs> Certainly. So, you yeah, know, yeah. if you want to talk to me, it's easy enough to get me on the phone. And if you'd like to talk right now to Andrew Goss, 888-1-NET-6. Uh, the telephones uh, usually work, and uh, we've been having good luck with them, but a couple of people are on hold tonight and didn't seem to work. But uh, give it a shot. It will. 888-1-NET-6. I'll, I'll even answer these live on the air, so we won't even put you on hold. So... We can get you right on. Also, you can email me right now, Patrick at one radio network dot com. We're going to be talking to a lady tomorrow who's done an amazing amount of research about vaccinations and the challenges thereof. Mary Toko. And then on Friday, a very cool, uh, very interesting man in the Austin area who's doing some really great work with nutrition, chiropractic, acupuncture and stuff. And, and that'll be on on Friday night. Uh, Andrew, I want to understand a little bit about this idea of deflation and inflation. Uh, there are there are all kinds of different newsletters and people out there that saying, "Well, it could go either way." No, well, you know, and I well, know, I know and I, that, how can yeah. all these people who have newsletters, supposedly smarty pants, who study this stuff? I mean, it, by deflation, do they mean that prices, like on homes and all that, and stocks, could deflate? So that's what they're talking about, deflation. Well, the, the general... Is that what they're talking about? Let's assume they're talking about the consumer price index. Well, that's not going to go down, right? I don't think so. No, I don't, why would it? I, I, I don't know if they're talking about deflation in the classic sense, meaning that the government or the Fed is going to start pulling money out of circulation? Well, I, would, I guess money would be coming out of circulation when, when, when uh, assets go down in value, right? Doesn't that pull money out, essentially? 
Well, I Not suppose really, if you if you want to measure that in the money supply, but we don't remember. We don't measure the house value in the money oh, supply. Oh, that's right. It's Once just... somebody pays for a house, that money that they use to pay for it goes into the money supply, but the house isn't part of it. Right, right. So, okay, so what they're saying is that maybe if you were selling the house, you would take less money out of the system on its sale than you put in mm. when it was sold? I don't know. I can't okay. find a deflation argument that doesn't end with, somebody pulling money out of circulation deflation would be less money less money the the, the great depression where they uh consciously that was deflation quit, yeah that was deflation they just consciously quit printing money yeah they just consciously said no more money no more money yeah. you got to play with what you already have in circulation and all those banks that are closing up well we're not going to do anything to save them and so uh, back in those days you, you couldn't just go to the bank and create dollars because the bank had to have the money to loan you some money? Well, that was the whole game then. The game uh-huh. then was hmm. everyone accepted notes and left their gold and silver money in the bank. Okay. So as long as their gold and silver money was in the bank, then no one knew that the, the sum total was less than the total gold and silver. In other words, right. if everybody brought their notes in, took all their gold out, there wouldn't be enough gold or silver to pay everybody off. Right. No one knew that because all the gold was in the banks and all the notes were circulating in commerce. Mm-hmm. In fact, remember what it was called, the Roaring Twenties. Yeah. Well, why did they roar? They roared because in the period between 1913 and 1924, the Federal Reserve was cranking out 50% more money than they had gold and silver to back it up. Plain and simple, through the member banks. And by the time 1929 came... As the, as the Fed now said, okay, no more loans. <laughs> We're calling in broker loans. The member banks, the owners of the Fed, started calling in broker loans. So then the stock market goes down, and then all loans are canceled, and then the people run to the bank and say, okay, I better get my money out. Mm-hmm. Then they take all the gold out. Now there's no substance. Now there's not enough gold or silver to pay the other notes that are still outstanding. And boom, now suddenly no one trusts paper. It has to be hard money, gold and silver. So now you're back to the original quantity of gold and silver money that was issued, and all the notes are no good. You have one, well, one, one half of the money that you had previously in circulation. <clears throat> I was going to say one third, yeah. but it was more like one half. Yeah, that's why I talked to my mom about it one time, and she she remembers. She said, "Well, you know, I, I don't remember very clearly, except all I do remember there just wasn't any money." That's what she said. You know, she, said hell, yeah. she said there just wasn't any money. I said, what do you mean there wasn't any money? Well, she said, you just couldn't get money. I mean, <laughs> people couldn't, you know, there was no money. There to, was no money. There was no money. People say, I can't, I can't hire you because I don't have any money. Precisely. Yeah. Wow. So with half the money in circulation, right. that which used to cost a dollar now only costs 50 cents. Right. And so if you had borrowed 75, if you had borrowed a dollar to buy that dollar item and now it was only worth 50 cents, well, you were bankrupt mm-hmm. and somebody took the item. And, and and why did they do that? Why did they engineer that little pumpkin? Well, because, you know, the one constraint that they had on them at the time mm. was that very constraint, that people could at any time come into the bank and say, here's my $20 bill, give me my $20 gold piece, give me my silver dollar. That was the real money. Right. But then once that right was taken away as a, as a cure for the problem, Oh, what's the cure for the problem? Oh, well, simple. Don't let Americans ask for their gold coins anymore. <laughs> Just keep their gold coins here in the vault and don't let them ask. And once they did that, 
then the Federal Reserve had precisely what it wanted, which was the ability to create money without any structural restrictions. You can't, you know, there was no way for you to come to them and check how much money was in circulation. And from that point on, suddenly money was like free-flowing. And we had a single point of entry, and that was the federal government. So that got us all used to the idea that all money comes from government. We had the WPA and the CCC and the Tennessee Valley Water Authority. You had the, the Hoover Dam and its, you know, mm-hmm. enormous payroll. And then uh, the Civilian Conservation Corps all up and down the United States, everybody. And if you want to go to work for them, well, you had to have a social security number. Oh, yeah. And so then, uh, you know, the entire structure of what we think of today was set in place from that one swift financial maneuver. And now what I see coming from this financial debacle is a supranational Federal Reserve type agency that has full authority over all debt issuance throughout the world not just in the United States. And how does that affect you you and I and Mr. and Mrs. America? Well, uh, how you know, can it affect us in the next five to ten years? Because I think once the authority to regulate the amount of debt in circulation uh, rests with a, a supranational authority, then we as citizens have lost our financial sovereignty. Hmm. But right? it, well, it hasn't, hasn't that not already happened, though? Well, yes and no. Uh-huh. I mean, we still have the option to uh, find that local happy point. Right now, for example, hmm. uh, Bernanke addresses and Paulson addresses uh, bankers associations and tells them, hey, maybe you, you know, want to take it easy on your lending standards. Maybe you want to not foreclose on people. Maybe you want to follow guidelines slightly different, mm-hmm. guidelines that make sense in your community. Hmm. You can't get that when you're you know, the governor's in Switzerland. I lost you there. What do you mean you can't? The, well, gov- the, the governor's what's the, the, when when the in- entity that's demanding the foreclosures and uh, demanding the tight money policies is in some far flung place without any real connection to what's going on on the ground, so to speak, and certainly without any uh, without any uh, accountability, you know, at least you can yell at somebody here in the United States. Uh, oh. Because in the future, that that's what you think. Because the Federal Reserve is is global. Yeah, the, a global yeah. entity that has supranational authority, yeah. and so therefore... Now I'm starting to get that spooky uh, global globalization kind of, yeah, uh, you yeah, know... If you believe in local b- Bilderberg, rules, all that kind of trip, you know. Yeah, the, the authority gets further and further away from uh, our elected leaders. You know, right yeah. now it's once removed, and yeah. now imagine it'll be twice removed. So you think this is all part of some big uh, sinister master plan? Well, I certainly think that there are those inside the Federal Reserve that have thought about uh, getting this additional power before and had they come to congress maybe a year ago and said hey here's what we want you to do give us authority over everything um congress would have you know chased them out Mm -hmm. (laughs) but now we're up there uh our congressmen and senators are saying oh please take this please why they just want to they want to offer their plate kind of thing yeah, yeah. Please take regulatory supervision over all these entities so that we don't have to. But but Desi Andrews last night was reading from the Constitution, and that's their job, really. I mean, weights and measures and regulating the that's their job. Congress. Well, that's what they're supposed to in tell the, us in the, is, in the Constitution, right? What they're supposed to tell us is what's a dollar worth? What's a quart? What's a quart? Yeah. What's a mile? Yeah. What's a dollar? Mm-hmm. And so their definition of a dollar 
then enables us to decide how many dollars we want hmm. for our day's labor or for our products that we're making or selling. But they don't do that. They don't do that job, do they? Indeed not. No. Indeed, quite the opposite is true. They don't tell us. And by not telling us and by keeping us in the dark so that we don't know uh, what the value of a dollar is, then they're creating a situation where you, you're an abject slave. You're saving a currency unit that you, you don't know the future value of. Yeah, we talked about that on a past show on KLBJ. It's like, what is that number? Yeah. You know, I'm 65 or I'm 70. How much do I need to do to go to 100? You know? I know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready? It's $20 oh, a yeah. week. Yeah, you told me that. $20 gold piece for uh, each week. $20 a week. Yeah, $20. So if you have $20, you can, you know, living in your, your own home, paying for your own food, keeping the heat on, keeping the lights on, you know, keeping the landscaper happy. That's what it's going to cost you, $20 a week. Uh, no, $20 gold piece. Well, that's $20. Everything else yeah. is, I don't know what it is. Yeah, but well, I, all but, I know is that 50 years ago, that would have cost you $20 a week. Now it costs you $20 a week. And 50 years from now, it'll cost you $20 oh, a week. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, your sneaky way of saying if you would have just kept in gold, you'd be in good shape. Exactly, because yeah. you'd, know, you'd know, okay, I exchanged my weeks of labor. Now I'm going to put half of it away. Mm -hmm. So for every two weeks that I work, I can retire for a week. Mm -hmm. That's the way you you know people should be thinking. So okay, I've worked I've worked a month. I'm going to save half my money. That means I could take two weeks off. Yeah, simple. Yeah, it would be easy to plan for retirement then. But, but how are we supposed to plan for retirement? We don't even know what a dollar is. <laughs> uh, so so what is a fellow to do, a lady to do? Uh, you you suggested uh, start thinking in terms of. Having a $20 gold piece. For every week you want to stay retired. That's a lot of money, Andrew. I know it. You I mean, 52 weeks a year. Yeah, and, and what's a $20 gold piece cost today? Like nine fifty? Well, yeah, actually it's about a 1200 in average uh, uncirculated condition. Now, 1200 times 52, I got my little calculator here. That's $62,000, and say if you're 65, want to live to 90, so that's times 25. Whew. Well, that's a million five, right? Yeah. So they get a million five and they buy, I don't know how many different twenty dollar gold pieces, but you couldn't even buy that many. Well, you. I mean, they couldn't come to you with a million five. Say, give me, I don't know how many thousand gold. You don't have that many. Yeah, you know, Rome wasn't burned in a day. Oh, I see. Of course, you yeah. accumulate. Uh, yeah. You're not unless you plan to retire and you've neglected to save any at all for the last twenty years. You know, and now you need to rush. Yeah. But yeah. and we have folks in that circumstance. Believe me, all I right. know. We all tend to procrastinate till the last minute. And so we work in chunks. Now, I buy these things whenever they're available, and then I send them off and have them certified, and they come back from the service 40, 50, 80, 100 at a time. Mm -hmm. So we offer them up in blocks and chunks, and, and that's essentially what we do when, I, when coins come in in, in in a fashion such as this. Um, you know, I just go through my list and call folks that have expressed an interest and say, okay, by the way, I have this many available or I have that many available. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the other side of it is supplemented with folks who are just now starting to retire. And they've uh, they've done their duty and put their $20 gold piece aside, and, you know, now they want to enjoy themselves, so they send one in, sell one, send another in, sell another, and so on. And so there's a, a two-way flow, and we can always provide on a, on a continuing basis the means for people to acquire these things. Mm -hmm. You're right, it's difficult to do all at once, but... You know, don't try to do it that way. That's the best right, advice but, I can give. But get. what if, let me play devil's advocate here. What if you have 500 of these puppies or whatever, so that's about 10 years, 
and gold goes down to $200 an ounce, man, you're sucking eggs, aren't you? Well, no, because the correlation there is that that's deflation. You know, that's what you're describing. Oh, that's, that's, uh, so prices would be going way, prices way, 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 follow way, way. it right on down. Oh, I see. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And so the concept is that you want enough to weather through these periods, obviously, mm-hmm. when gold might be lower than it was when you bought it. So that's why we tell people not to speculate, you know, not to try to rush in at the last minute or, or at the top or at the bottom, wherever you think you might be, but rather accumulate. Mm-hmm. Because if you spread your purchases out over months and years uh, and your sales the same way, then you're assured that you're not going to have missed the top or the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, you get an average in and an average out. Yeah. And well, it works over the long haul, believe me. We're with Andrew Goss, 25-year currency historian. He's here every Wednesday night on One Radio Network. Tell your friends about our show and all the programs that we're doing. Soon to launch our OneRadioNetwork.com premium site, so you can have access to all this stuff. Our number tonight and every night uh, that we're on, 708 uh, Central, 888 six, or my email right in front of me, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. I read that there's like a 12% paper loss in housing value recently, what, the last year? Are about two point four trillion, just like on paper. Mm-hmm. Does that mean uh, anything to us uh, uh, talking tonight about all this? Does that is that any relevant value to us when you hear those kinds of things? Not to people with a fixed mortgage. You know, they're certainly mm-hmm. not moving out of their house, mm-hmm. and they're not burning it down. You know, <laughs> so perhaps on paper it's worth less than it was a year ago, uh, but their mortgage payment remains the same. Hopefully. They took our advice and got fixed rate mortgages, not these graduated or interest only things with balloons. Mm-hmm. So as long as you were uh, careful in your mortgage, you bought the money and you bought the house. It shouldn't matter whether the house goes up or down in the short term, mm-hmm. uh, because ultimately, see, this is the this is the inflation argument. They they have to take steps to re-stimulate the, the housing market. They have to. They're going to have to. Absolutely forced. There's no question about it. Because it accounts for too many jobs. And the way they're going to do that would be to make it easier for people to borrow money. Yeah. yeah. I see Fannie Mae and But Freddie. aren't they back into that old game about just yeah. uh, risky mortgages? Yeah, well, you know what I said would end up with? A, this would all end up with what was subprime mm-hmm. will now be <laughs> prime. It's going to go back again. And a whole new... No, now it will be prime. In other words, what was before called subprime... Oh, they're just going to call it prime. It's just going to be prime. So the same... These guys are rich, man. (laughs) The loose standards will be institutionalized. Now, I see where Fannie Mae has already raised its limits inside uh, where it used to be 400 and change, 400,000 and change. Mm -hmm. Now they've raised it to 722,000. What do you mean? The, the amount of money that they'll loan on a Fannie Mae mortgage. So that amount, just what we call a jumbo mortgage. It's now 722. Now, Fan, well, Fannie Mae has Fannie. now raised the limit so that, uh, you know, 720 is the, is, is the new limit that they will loan. So in the past, you, you couldn't get a Fannie Mae loan above 400 and change. And now you can get one for seven hundred. And why are Fannie Mae's loans are just good because? Uh, well, they have the lowest interest yeah. rate. They're the most tightly scrutinized in terms mm. of uh, you know uh, predatory practices. 
if you're getting a Fannie Mae mortgage, it's got you know truth in lending and mm-hmm. uh, uh, very strict criteria mm-hmm. on qualification as well as um, um, disclosure. You know, they can't do things that some of these uh, predator lenders have been accused of. You know, Andrew Goss, I really just got a glimpse when you were saying about they're going to just change the prime subprime uh, category to prime about your argument over these years that I've known you about this idea of using debt to your advantage because I just got the glimpse of the idea. You know what? If this is not really money, it doesn't really matter anyway. These guys are just going to keep, you know, doing the shell game. You know, so they don't get caught, right? Right, right. right. Is that right? Absolutely right. They're just going to keep doing this until, you know, until, I don't know, until they can get away with it. Slowly but surely and wow. insidiously. Just amazing. It, it just, and erodes, it erodes people's purchasing power so that they just don't get it they until they get it in little flashes like that. Wow. Yeah. I just got a little flash there. A little flash. Oh, wait, I, wait, I think I see I it. I think I see this. Yeah, I think I see it. <laughs> I think so I... They're like, wait a minute. If you can just create money out of thin air, then right, right. why do you need ours? Boy. Man, oh, man, oh, man. Whether well, well, we, we, you and I, and everyone listening, I guess it's just up to us now to make more of these Federal Reserve notes right. and buy more real stuff. I mean, isn't our job now to dig in and just get more productive, huh? Yeah. I mean, we have to, don't we? Precisely. I mean, we have to. Yeah, because it's, uh, you know, survival of the fittest out there. Right. And so everyone has to tighten their belt, get a little better. Remember what I was always said about, you know, improve your craft, mm-hmm. improve your education, mm-hmm. buy better tools, you know, do what you have to do to be productive mm-hmm. and to be more productive. Mm-hmm. And that is the only way to keep ahead of this curve because... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, if you're just going to save your money and put it in the bank and hope that at some point you're mm-hmm. going to go back to it in the future and it's going to buy the same thing that it buys today, mm-hmm. boy, you better be doubling and tripling every couple of years. Yeah, and that's the people that i really most concerned about. And would, as we move along here with this, this one radio network and, and our shows, try to figure out how to reach more of these people like 60, 65, 70 you know, who are retiring who don't understand what we're talking about. Right. I mean, they're in very, very dangerous situation. I think the, the only way we're going to do it is to go and uh, start giving uh, uh, computer classes for seniors. You mm-hmm. know, that's all mm-hmm. because I know several who have embraced the concept of, hey, this is uh, an instant means of communication. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, you can listen from great distances uh, and, and interact mm-hmm. and educate yourself. So... Once that medium, I think, is accepted uh, in the senior community more widely, then I think they, they'll yeah. be. I just hope it's not too late yeah, uh, yeah. to get the message across. And, of course, soon it's not going to be long before you can listen to, like, one radio network in your car. And now they have devices where you listen right in your kitchen and on your TV. So it, it, things are really And on moving. your phone. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, and your cell phone, right? Yeah. Like in Europe, you can listen on your cell phone. And I guess here you can, too. Yeah, in Japan you can. Uh, that's... Uh, they're already in third generation in the phones. I read that Ron Paul said that real inflation is about 17% right now. He wrote an article on uh, freemarketnews.com. 17%. I, he measures it the same way I do. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he's talking to the same people you do. That's right. That's yeah. about the number you've been talking about. Well, yeah, because, see, we measure it the same way, which is the total increase in the bottom number on that monetary equation. Right. The only the only monetary equation you need to know is the top number, and that's how many dollars you have, mm-hmm. and the bottom number, and that's how many dollars exist. Mm-hmm. So, and that's how you know your share of the total pie. 
What's Ron Paul doing now? I, I, he's still around, and he's and he's he's traveling, and they're still still raising money. What's he up to? Do you know? Uh, he's running for president on the Republican. He's still he's still there, right? <laughs> God bless him. Oh man, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Go. He just you know he's tireless. He is tireless. Talk about a testament to the nation's <laughs> seniors. Look at that guy. Yeah. So you know he's out there doing what he does, which is educating people to the problem. Now today he was in his chair in Congress, uh-huh. and um, boy, Bernanke gets so nervous when Ron Paul <laughs> asks him a question. Yeah, I bet it's he does. fun to watch. Oh, did, did Ron Paul ask him a question? Uh, yeah, he made a statement what say? and asked him a question. I, I'd leave it to the listeners oh. to get their own determination, but he basically uh, said to him, um, you are ex- suggesting expanding government's regulation of the financial markets, I, I advocate expanding regulation of government. <laughs> I thought that was just a great line. If we're going to regulate some more, let's regulate the government some more. Let's not regulate oh, individuals. He, but, so he's a big free market guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, Douglas Casey, right? He's been around for years. Doug Casey forever. Yeah. Forever, right? He's an economist uh, de jour. Uh, I read a, a column that he wrote, and he was saying that that we should be storing our gold coins outside the United States. Well, and I don't, you know, you've never mentioned that. What what could that be about? I well, mean, are these about, the kind of people that think that the government will someday take them? Yeah, and you don't believe that. Well, you know, there are two choices here. Okay, a choice one is you buy what Doug Casey suggests, which are blocks of gold. You know, Krugerrand. Oh, I thought his column said gold coins. Well, oh, but maybe every, he's talking about, uh, yeah, just kind of uh, bullion coins. Exactly. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah, and everyone oh. makes that mistake, so it's not, right. you know, it, it is, the, even though they're round and they're made out of gold. <laughs> it's a difference. Yeah, they're, they would be better referred to as gold discs mm-hmm. than gold coins. Mm-hmm. See, a coin has to have a face value and it has to be legal tender. So it can't be a pretend face value where you just say, oh, well, let's just call it $5. It has to be legal tender. Legal tender. That's a big yeah, Lawful money is more appropriate. And you know? feel, you've said before, that you don't feel that the USG, the one we love, the gov, the one we love, will ever, well, very unlikely they'll get to the point where they'll try to confiscate those because they they all have a lot of gold well, coin collections. Well, not so much that, although well, that is certainly true. But there's this thing in, in law, and I'm not a lawyer, but it's called a legal fiction. And the legal fiction at law, you know, because the Constitution is very specific, right? It says, no state shall make anything but gold or silver coin a tender in payment of debt, mm-hmm. right? Very, very specific. How could we be issuing paper money with no gold backing? How can that be? Wouldn't that be unconstitutional? See? You wouldn't even need a municipal judge to tell you that. Yeah, a great school judge. You would be a great school judge. You could set mm-hmm. up, is this, is this unconstitutional? Mm-hmm. Well... Not if we first acknowledge this legal fiction. Mm-hmm. And the legal fiction is that there's no difference between a $20 gold piece and a $20 bill. There's no difference between a silver dollar and a paper dollar. They're both a dollar. Mm. Dollar's a dollar. And since they're both a dollar, and that's what a dollar is, why then the legal fiction is that they represent each other. Mm-hmm. You could take a $20 gold piece down to the bank and deposit it as $20. You could take a silver dollar and pay your taxes with it. You could spend it at any store, silver dollar. And so that legal fiction has to remain in place because if you confiscate all of the money, all the gold and silver coin, and you make that illegal under edict, 
then you have to admit that the Constitution doesn't apply anymore. You have to say, okay, the Constitution is null and void. In fact, we'll just scratch that part out that says about gold and silver coin, because now we've confiscated them all. I don't think that's very likely. I think what's more likely is those evil, nasty gold hoarders, we're going to take care of them. Oh, the people with the bullion. The gold speculators, you know the ones. The ones that have so little faith in the dollar that they're going to dump it in favor of gold. I think we should put a windfall profits tax on those people, and we should closely regulate all of their transactions because they're they're killing the dollar with their speculations in gold. Now, who's going to be opposed to that? Oh, I see. They can get the American people behind that. Oh, no problem getting yeah. behind that. But then yeah. how do you stop a guy who has a coin collection? <laughs> so are you going to confiscate butterfly I'm collections? I'm just looking man? for these buffalo-head nickels, man. Leave me alone. Exactly. Leave me alone. <laughs> my coin collection. Why do you want that? Okay. Are you going to take my car collection next? How about CEF Canada? Heard about that. Uh, it's a, Central a, Fund, yeah. And they, they actually hold the medal. Is, is, yeah, it's another one of those. But is, you still don't have the, 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 the you still don't have possession of the coins, and so that's a, right. That's a downside for that's you. That's like right? GLD, right? Well, because imagine, let's imagine that these guys who predict ultimate police state, you know, roadblocks and these, this right, right, of, you know, okay, Alex Jones, right? Yeah, kind of stuff. That kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. end of the world. What do they call Tawakawi? The end of the yeah. world as we know it. Huh. First of all, it doesn't. You know, this week only. It's not going to be publicized in the paper. You're just going to wake up one morning and boom, it's there. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have to grab your stuff and hit the road or whatever it is you're going to do. You don't want to be arguing with somebody on a phone, you know, 100 miles away to send you your gold. <laughs> That's right. So, I never thought about that. You don't. <laughs> yeah. and you're certainly hey, what not, about my gold here? Yeah, so when someone gets, when I hear someone say that they, they, they're being advised to mm-hmm. take their gold offshore. Mm-hmm. My advice is, well, as long as you plan to go with it, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but if you're going to stay here and send your gold offshore, I would advise against that. Unless maybe you had a trusted uncle in oh, Switzerland or something yeah. like that. And, and, then, and, and yeah, your yeah. plan is, if any of this happens, to go there. And then when you get there, you'll have a source of, of right, revenue right. or wealth. That, okay, that makes a little bit of sense to me. Can you legally put gold coins in a, in a box and mail them overseas? Sure. Oh, you can? Yep. Nobody knows what it is, I guess. Well, you have to declare for what it is. You know, in the case of me, I'm, I'm declaring a silver dollar as a, what? A dollar. Oh, I see. Yeah. A $20, that's $20. Mm-hmm. Read it. A lot of folks think, uh, you know, in the... That the the upside of silver is pretty exciting stuff. I mean, you're talking, you know, you hear people saying, you know, like Douglas Casey said, $3,000 gold is certainly not out of the question in the next couple of years. You and other people have mentioned 2000 is very possible. What about silver? Silver is like, uh, what, 16, 17 bucks? It's and I remember not too long ago, it was like $9 or $7. Or it should be $56. 56 Yeah. Why 56 Well, Using the historic 16 to 1 ratio, 16 ounces of silver was an ounce of gold. A 16 ounces of silver equals an ounce of gold in, yeah. in value? Using that kind of a ratio. Oh, I never heard of that 16 one to 1, 15 and a half to 1, uh, or uh, uh. whatever it is you want to use. fact of the matter is that silver has already been $50 when gold was last at its peak, right? When gold was last at 850 there. In, uh, in 1980, 1980 so right. silver hit its peak at fifty-two dollars. Mm-hmm. So right now, silver is still one third or more of its 
or less rather, of its um, all-time high, hmm. where gold has surpassed its all-time high, well, hmm. except for a couple of weeks ago. Now, now, most of the coins that you sell in the numismatic coins are more gold, but there are silver coins too, right? I love silver coins, but... There, there's see, not that many of them? Well, it's hard for people to get a grasp on the idea that, you know, here's a silver standing quarter from 1916 that contains a quarter ounce of silver, and it's going to cost you, you know, eight thousand dollars. It's just it's pure numismatic oh. value, complete and utter. Just nothing but numismatic value. They really got to trust you, right? They really have to trust uh, coins, right? Now, to get that hybrid coin is the one that I like the most, which is big, big one ounce gold piece or half ounce gold piece that sells for just a small premium relative to its gold content over the actual gold value. So you get a $20 gold piece that we were talking about before, for example, around 1250 you know, with like $900 worth of gold in it. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of the value of that coin is in the numismatic side. Mm-hmm. Most of it is in the gold side. And so in the event of an utter crisis where gold would shoot to you know $20,000 an ounce, you wouldn't care that you're cracking your gold out of its holder and melting it or breaking it into pieces. It wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's more like what I think it's going to be, which is just slow, steady, insidious inflation, then the premium on that coin will continue to rise just as fast as the gold price rises. Mm-hmm. And uh, that right there is uh, um, reason enough, I think, to, mm-hmm. to buy a gold coin instead of uh, a block of gold. Mm-hmm. Did, did uh, We're kind of just running short on time here, but um, did, did you know... Somebody told me that to get your uh, check, the economic stimulus package, right? Right. Your six or seven or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that you have to fill out your 2007 tax return. Right. Did you know that? Yes. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, you have to pay. I your... think that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't, if you don't put in a tax return, why you're not going to get a check? Yeah. I made a call to the IRS, you know, my buddies, and we're having this conversation about a few things, and I was on hold, right? So they're telling you this whole thing you could go through to get your economic stimulus package. All right. And it's so interesting because they say, and now if you've never filed for a couple of years yeah. and you want to file, well, here's a, you can get this form so you can get your package. It's almost like they're doing this to unearth people who haven't, who haven't filed for a while. And you know there's going to be millions of people who have never filed or something and say, well, I'm going to file just so I can get my just 700 so I get my $600. I'm going to find out what these people are. Yes. That's it. it was just so great. I was on the whole just laughing. I was saying, this is interesting. I had Indeed. no idea. Indeed. Did yeah. you get your stimulus? Are you going to send yours back? I don't think I'm getting stimulated. You're not year. getting stimulated? I don't think I'm going to be stimulated Come on, at man. All. You're no fun. No, no stimulation for me. <sighs> but I do know a few people who don't pay taxes, and uh, they're going to you know, file their returns so they can get there. Really? Yeah, people who don't earn enough to pay taxes. Yeah. Well, uh, I read another thing that was I thought was interesting, too, where they're beginning to see how many more people are going on food stamps the last year. And the reason they, they, they have a much better idea uh, about it is because it's all electronic now. Yeah. Did you see that? Well, they give them little cards. Right. Right. And they don't even give you little stamps anymore. It's just like the zip, 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 zip. I remember when they put that in the Clinton administration. The best quote. Oh, has it been I, that long? Yeah. The oh, best really? quote. Well, the the pilot program went in then uh-huh. um, under Donna Shalala, 
uh, into the Maryland system. Uh, they gave them their little cards. Right. And what, what she said in her testimony, and I quoted it then and I quote it now because it, it stuck in my head, is that they have, quote, an auditable trail of every transaction, end quote. Oh. I just thought that told the story. An audible trail. Auditable yeah. trail of every transaction. So they'll be able to tell if you're buying ding-dongs or, 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 or wine or whatever. Well, wait a minute. They don't care if you're buying ding-dongs or wine today. Why? Don't they? But let's suppose that six years from now you uh, decide that you're going to, I don't know, uh, run for president. Mm-hmm. Well, then whether or not you bought ding-dongs and wine would be a relevant thing for a presidential candidate. Oh, wow. So that'll be the type of thing that they'll dig out later. Or if you run afoul of the law in some other form, uh, they can you know go through your entire life's history to see what what they can use. And you, you had mentioned on a past show, too, that you thought that that was a real, the real downside of any kind of this uh, fair tax thing where where people, the government would, would be involved with virtually everything that, that a, a company sold, and, and that would be pretty pretty yeah, interesting, I'm a, right? I'm a no-tax guy. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I, I, anyone who wants to say, well, you've got to have taxes to run government, it's absurd. Government's one of the most profitable enterprises there is. You know, you, you have so many different areas that fall within the purview of government as a money-making enterprise that all you really have to do is bring those back into the treasury. Mm-hmm. You know, send the flow from the, from the airports and the toll roads and the, <laughs> the tariffs and, goodness, the Federal Reserve or the Fannie Mae organization. You know, all they, that stuff is used to, is all private, right? Absolutely, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And, and you put the government in the power generation business, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Right. Uh, anything that uh, requires public use or that is used for the public and everyone has to buy and pay for, uh, certainly to have government involved in that is not. And, and I thought your, your idea about the... Uh, about the social security system was brilliant. The idea that if you had a you had a trust fund there that you really you know kept it in there, and then you use that to to loan people money at four or five percent. I mean, that's a steady income, and Indeed. and people are going to pay the mortgages generally, right? They always do. They you know they always do. They figure out a way. I mean, and boy, what a beautiful thing that would be. It's, it certainly would be, considering that you know social security trust funds are now yielding like one percent. Well, I didn't think they had anything left in the old. Uh, well, every bank. time the dollar comes in, they loan it out to themselves and pay themselves one percent. So mm-hmm. it is uh, it is accounted for through earmark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they and, say, "Oh yeah, we got a dollar in from Social Security today, and we're going to borrow it and put it in the uh, highway trust fund, and then we're going to mm-hmm. borrow it again and put it back in the general treasury." And you said that started uh, back. Uh, President Johnson was the first guy to do that. Yeah, unified budgeting. <laughs> unified budget, unified budget. <laughs> which means it's cooking the books, right? Cook, Uncle Sam cooks the books. You know, I thought long and hard before I put that title on. <laughs> unified my Unified budgeting. Yeah. You gotta love that one. Right? That's a goodie. And that's what President Johnson did. He did. Well, what was the reason why he didn't? He did, wanted to balance the budget. He wanted to show a balanced budget. Right. Yeah, he was leaving, leaving office, and you think of everything else that he happened to, <laughs> around Johnson with right. you know, Bobby Baker and Billy right. Soul Estes and all that stuff, all the scandal. Uh, so he wanted to do something good. So right. we would be remembered for something good in the balanced budget. That's it. Andrew, we're out of time, kid. It goes fast. Hey, thank you so much. It was great fun. It's a pleasure. We'll see you next Wednesday. Okay. Next Wednesday on OneRadioNetwork.com. Your telephone number quick? 800-468-2646. 800-468-2646. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Good night. And it's exactly 8 o'clock, folks. I'll see you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Take care.
From the Hill Country of Texas, this is One Radio Network.